She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. So welcome to She Loves Herself, the podcast, Mark Reed. Hey Jill, thanks for having us. I'm really pleased to get you on. So you have been on my kind of wish list this year. I was first introduced to you, Mark, in October when I went to Bali. So the listeners know about my experience in Bali. It was a very heavy, um, challenging, but life-changing experience. Um, And a lady that I met in Bali had mentioned you. Um, she was also Scottish and she said, you follow this guy, he's really great, he lives in Bali now and he's doing a lot of work that you're really, really um, connected with. So I started following you and I've been a bit of a fan girl, haven't I? I've been like commenting all your stuff. A <laughs> <laughs> wee fan girl, Mark. I absolutely, do you know what it is, Mark? And full transparency, I really love and respect a lot of people in this industry, but there are a few that I, okay, I'm going to rewind. I love and respect that people are out there with intentions a lot of the time to do good, but you are one of the few people that I truly connect with on a deeper level that has that number one relatability, number two, empowered vulnerability you really embody um your own vulnerability you share parts of yourself that aren't just for you know the the shiny instagram post you really show your heart you tell your story you tell it really really well and as i said there's that real relatability and i also truly believe that the work that you're doing is not only changing lives it's creating such a ripple effect and a ripple effect of change in the world and the way that we're seeing the world and the way that people are presenting themselves the work that you're doing so guys if you are listening to this I know that you're going to be really keen to connect with Mark and follow him um I am a bit of a fussy bugger with um who I really really watch in the industry and you're amazing Mark you're doing so many great things so well done for showing up in your in your truest most authentic form wow thank you that's all I can really say to that <laughs> um very very humbled and very grateful for your kind words as, as you know through your own embodiment that it's it's a journey that never ends and it's it's multi-layered multifaceted and multiple points along the way where we question our own sanity and question why we're doing that but I think that's what makes us um, that pillar for people that I've actually just off a coaching call and I had said to the guys they were talking about how the consciousness is rippling out and they can see the world starting to wake up I said yeah but you guys are are the light bearers Mm -hmm. I said this isn't 5D love and light talk I said I just mean that because you're shitting, you're, you're not shitting, sorry. <laughs> you're not when Sean Connery, you're shitting. <laughs> you're sitting in your shadow, and from there, that's where we can go. So the vulnerability, this isn't like a call conscious vulnerability, because people latch on to the catchphrases. So vulnerability is your great superpower. Now it is, but a lot of people do that, and then it becomes a, a free reign to emotionally dump on people. Mm. And then they stay there. So... I'm a, I'm a friends buff the the sitcom right yes there's a there's an episode with 
um, Rachel and she starts seeing Bruce Willis and yeah. she's like what's going on in here like oh yeah up. yeah yeah sudden he just can't stop crying so I always <laughs> it's like you really need to emotionally connect with your partner I says but don't get to a point where the ladies are putting your balls into Google Maps for you because you've actually forgotten who the hell you are I was like, like mm. they're not your mother they're not your fixer they're not your therapist like turn up and take the armour off but then remember what makes us men which is to come back in, like, allow yourself to feel worthy of that nurture. Yeah. And go back in the front line. So I was saying to my clients, I said it's like conscious vulnerability here because whatever you are in the moment, you guys are turning up. But you also know that there's a pathway out of it. But right now I'm in this and that's okay. But you're not doing it as a way to dump on people. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that vulnerability shines through everything you do as well. It's why you, why you see it in me. And it's it's never been a conscious thing to do. I'm just like, other than I'm sick of the filters and I'm sick of the bullshit that's out there. And I just think the world is actually over it. I always think like, I gave up chasing happiness because it just made me too sad. I, I found out about the duality very quickly. And that's not saying don't be happy, but... There's two sides of the, the coin. We don't really want happiness. We want to be loved for who we are. I said, the only way you can be lovable is you're relatable. And the only way to be truly relatable is to be vulnerable. Because if you're ship-shaped, shiny and perfect all the time, people minimise themselves to look up to you. And eventually the pedestal they put you on, they've got to slam you down. And that's relationships, really. Oh, so, yes, yes, yes. Oh, so, my just, the more we can turn up as authentically as we can, not to manipulate current buzzwords or trends, but just yeah. because it's true to what, what you need to feel and express, mm. people actually remember their true human essence, mm-hmm. which is they just want to turn up and be there for you. Uh-huh. And then you have a relationship. So vulnerability, conscious vulnerability, I think, is everything. I think that's so beautiful. And I love that you said when people put you on a pedestal, and then suddenly you don't meet their needs or expectations or some because there's that attachment to you, right? And then the minute you pull back, you said they slam you down. And it's, I see this and it's happened to me. And and, and actually my own journey, I, I, I often have really worked a lot on non-attachment for myself because my go-to is like, right, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. When someone gets too attached to me, I feel uncomfortable because in experience in the past, that's kind of where they went south. When I've not met their needs or when I've wanted to do something or, or I've, I've shown in a certain way that's then reflected something back on them, there's that real tug. And for me, the safety is just to run away or just to exit either the relationship or the business or whatever that looks or feels like. And I, it still comes up for me at times and I still see people doing it with me at times and I can feel it and I'm like, oh God, I don't like this sort of, don't put me on a pedestal, don't put me on a pedestal, you know, and, and it's so lovely because I've just said really nice things to you, right, Mark? When people say really nice things to me, it's lovely to receive, but it really took me a lot of work to work on receiving because receiving didn't feel safe for me and I didn't even realize that was happening and still until I really was seeing the same repeated patterns over and over again I'm thinking why are people doing this to me in actual fact I was a lot to do with it and I, until I really 
worked on the safety of receiving. And I still work on this. I still work on this, the safety of receiving, because, you know, too much can make me feel uncomfortable and unsafe because I think danger, danger ahead, danger ahead, you know, something's going to happen. Um, and often when I think like that, it does. <laughs> so, yeah, so much of what you just said there and, and the vulnerability piece and the authenticity piece of people really not feeling safe in their own authenticity um, and that is, a, that's probably a whole other podcast episode, but before we get into the work that you do, because I know you mentioned men there and I wrote that down actually, because I really want to talk about that today with you. Mark, tell us, tell like for the listeners who don't know what brought you on your journey, I'd love you to share that with us today, if that's okay. Of course, yeah. <clears throat> well, I think the first thing, to, to say is that what we think brings us on our journey isn't actually what brings us on the journey. It's mm -hmm. what we're aware of at the point. And then the further into your journey, you realise that there's all these other tentacles and layers and threads that you never knew that was there. But we don't know what we don't know. Um, so consciously for me, I would say, to be honest with you, it was probably a year and a half of... Um, drug taking to be honest I was I was a DJ in the, the Archies in Glasgow I was a resident DJ for there and DJed some of the neighbouring bars uh, even like my whole arm is all about music you can see like the evolution of DJ and vinyl to see DJs to where it's all going and then here actually you'll see Twisted Soul which is actually my company name but that started as an, an illegal rave so I've trusted two lovers that meet in secret and then they elope Wow. So that was the one we never ever took to the club. That was, we just said to everyone, be here at this time, send a minibus for them or whatever, and, and take them to, to certain places. And I had an aha moment one day when I just looked down. I went, I was thinking a name for a podcast, actually, let, I've still not started. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, I had all these gimmicky names. And then I thought, what's the most, like, success leaves clues? What's the biggest podcast in the world? The Joe Rogan experience. And I was like, right, cool. And I looked down, I was like, trusted soul experience. Trusted soul experience, I like that. And then I was like, wow, that is what you do. You've went beyond personal training, nutritional components, mindset into that. Like, you're helping people heal soul wounds from generational, ancestral and cultural trauma to fulfil their soul's purpose. And the tears were flowing. I was, it was just like, when you pull the green cotton back and the little guys pulling the levers and you go, God, it's been there the whole time. I just, I wasn't even aware. So what was an illegal rave was actually what I was always destined to do. And a quick side note, like we used to use three decks and all of our things. And the third deck was always bit for acapellas. Mm -hmm. And we used to take um, famous speeches or things from YouTube and we'd take the MP3 off it and distort the vocal and we'd put it over things. So we used to take people talking about um, higher levels of consciousness like uh, Ram Dass, Terence McKenna, random people talking about the first time they take MDMA and like DMT and life is a dream and it's a, pro a projection of your subconscious reality. And it was all that stuff I just thought to sound cool, but it's actually everything I teach now. Like, and that was 12, 13 years ago. But I was always really proud that I hadn't took drugs. And then I was involved with like a fight in my local town. They'd actually nothing to do with me. And I went on a bit of a rant at my friend's house. 
And I said, I'm never bringing kids up here. This place is a war zone. And I went on this big rant. And he had said, I hate seeing you like this. You're the one that keeps all our spirits up. When have I ever offered you anything? I said, no. And he he's basically just swapped his BMX for a BMW. He's sold drugs since he was 12. But he, he had never asked me because he knew my stance on it. And I said, you haven't? And he said, right, this is a legal high. You're not doing anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I went, no, no, no. Anyway, long story boring. I succumbed to it. I don't know why. <laughs> and 18 months later, I went from this legal high to cool transparency, ketamine. Um, and not, now it's microdosed for trauma. But no, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't conscious. MDMA, ecstasy tablets, uh, cocaine, everything. And I just lost and I just deeply, deeply hated myself. And I was working in a behavioural school at the time. I felt like the ultimate fraud. So I was a teacher back then. Mm. And then out of nowhere, I got a phone call from a boy from Dundee that I went to university with. Not, I, I don't like saying this because I always think it's a contrived word, like spiritual, everything's spirit. But in terms of consciously, he doesn't, he's not overly invested in this work, but something somewhere, he sent me a private mail. I don't know why, big man, I've been thinking of you a lot. I hope you're okay. And I wasn't. I was off my work for two months. I was on a teacher's salary, but after 10 days, I either owed people money or I was I was buying more drugs. And I was DJing every week. So I got caught up in that whole thing. And um, I had the highest of the highs. Mm. I was with the lowest of the lows and I had this depression and I just, as I said, I hated myself. I just felt like a fraud, felt like a failure. And I was living in toast and beans, sometimes not even white bread with cold beans because I was too proud to go to my mum and dad. I was too ashamed, if I'm honest, who were only one town away. And I had used my emergency electricity, my power card, it's gone. And I would rather sit there and suffer. That's a whole other story. Yeah. But I was just lost. And I remember just being on my knees, and I, I'm not religious. I, I mean, I'm a recovering Catholic, is what I say. I got brought up with that right through down my throat. Um, and that's not any slight to anyone that is religious. I find myself going back at certain components, but it has a different meaning to me now. But I remember just being humbled and being on my knees, breaking my heart, saying, please help me. I don't know what to do. I'm all out. And it came in a form of a Dindonian sending me a private mail on Facebook. And I had a, a job offer to go to Qatar and, and teach across two there. And I went, well, there's no drugs there and there's none of this here. I'm going to go. I've asked for a sign. Here it is. I'm out. And I, went, I left about two months later. I had two years there. That was another um, experience, maybe for another time. Um, but I thought, right, you've came halfway across the world. I'm not going back. I might as well go the whole hog. So I ended up in Perth, Australia. I was there for six years and I gave up teaching. I didn't want 30 kids that were there by law. I wanted 30 adults that wanted to be there. And I was always very, a bastardised term, holistic in terms of movement and understanding how the body moves. It was never really about aesthetics. It was I was kind of the opposite of all of that. It was a bit longevity. I always wanted people to live longer with the people that they love the most. And that just became a refined mission statement. If you really put it down to two words, I want to reconnect families. There's legs to that, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to. But I levelled up in the personal training, I subcontracted that I then had my own place. And it was turning over about, at best, it was like just shy of a quarter of a brick. It was like 240 
two grand the year. And we were only open 32, 33 hours a week. Mm. So it was like a boutique gym. Wow. And we married at the time. And we were arguing about money. And she was working, which again is for another. And it enabled that. Again, linked to my low self-worth and my trauma, if I'm honest. But I just had this awakening that I went, you've got very good at something that you don't enjoy. Because... Like big Tony Robbins, I think it's his quote. It says, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Yeah. And I would say success without no one, anyone to share it with is the ultimate failure. Mm. So many of us from trauma, we don't know how to self-regulate because it doesn't feel safe to co-regulate, so we hide ourselves off. But something in me was just going, well, PT, for the people that are watching, maybe PT is I love you all when you always have a deep place in my heart because PT stands for personal therapist. It's not personal trainer. You give people two seconds and tell you all their troubles. And I was like, that's cool, right? Let's go there then. And of course, they didn't want to because I had this physical gym. People seen it and they went, no, no, we just go there and we move things. Yeah. So I, went, I, need, I need to sell this. So that caused a lot of financial woes. But I was being resentful towards my wife at the time. I'm looking at her Instagram and I'm going, that's... Fucker, sorry, if I can I swear. No, it's yes, yes. I was like, this fucker's living the life I'm getting up at 4 a.m. for. And I'm starting to resent my wife, which of course I didn't want to do, but mm. I had that conversation. She's there with the shades on and the Indian Ocean in the background and my chow chow dog and, and a sai bowl and a coffee and like hashtag best life. I'm like, there's something all right here. Mm. It's because I was enabling a lot of things within our marriage. Um because Six months into your marriage, I found out I had a cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually healed it with the help of a lot of other people. But spirit, to be honest with you, guiding me, saying, mm-hmm. don't, don't do this. And, it, and 12 weeks later, after them wanting to cut so much more out of me, they wanted to remove my rectus abdominis muscle, my fascia, and my lymph nodes. And I said, absolutely not. So I went all in on alternative medicine and natural healing. And 12 weeks later, when I went for the checkup, they couldn't find any. Wow. And how long ago was that? 2016, March 2016. Incredible. What kind of cancer was it? It was called a DFSP, Dermatofibrosarcoma Protuberans. So it was a deep skin cancer. And it was right on my solar plexus. So wow. For- wow. Interesting. Of course, because I had no idea who I was because I spent my whole life trying to get my father's favour through sport and academia. And by the way, I went into teaching subconsciously. It's funny now because he was a principal. And I hated school when I was there. I just assist him that I'm a bit of a rebel. You tell me to go that way, I'm going that way. I don't like doing that. So schooling was never for me. And here I'm doing it because there's a little boy that hadn't healed that going, hey, daddy, I'm just like you. Do you love me yet? And of course, he never didn't. I just, I was looking at for it to come in a form that I felt I wasn't receiving. Mm-hmm. And that's the work. Again, that's probably for a little bit separate. But between that and the physical prowess, but more so emotionally, the nervous system needs, or the dysregulated nervous system needs of my mother. Mm-hmm. But I felt very res- responsible for all of her stuff. Again, we can go into that if you want to direct it that way. But that was kind of bleeding into my marriage, of course. So all of this stuff was coming up and the solar plexus is like the seat of the ego and the identity of self. And I had no clue who I was because I spent my whole life trying to perform for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So there was no, and I saw this pretty quickly. 
So that was the real kind of buff to go deeper. But I would say the catalyst for the whole thing was that, I mean, there's there's multiple things that led to before that. Like, why did I choose to take drugs that time after spending 26 years saying no? But there's no mistakes. And I can look back in that time with fondness, to be honest with you. I don't really speak to anyone that I, I hung around with then because they were mates, they weren't friends. And um, when my value system started to change, I brought up a lot of stuff where I thought, oh, they're being really disloyal to me. And they would think the same. They'd call me out on social media or talk about me behind my back as a very West Coast of Scotland thing to do. Oh, who the fuck does he think he is? He's forgotten it used to be three deep in a party. Blah, blah, blah. No, I haven't. I'm just not that guy anymore. Like, I would rather get up at 4am than get in at 4am and continue from 4am. Like, my values have changed. And I remember Tony Robbins saying to me that loyalty is going to get you killed. He said, because by default, you will brand everyone disloyal because your version of loyalty is unique to you. So no one's ever going to match that. And I kind of got it, but there was little layers of anger that I hadn't unpacked yet. Yeah. Followed a few years after that, and I did the breakthrough experience with John D. Martini. And he said, people aren't loyal to people. People are loyal to value systems. Now, we had a shared value of going out and partying and really suppressing our traumas through a false high. But all of a sudden, when I didn't want that, I wanted to sit in my shit and go up within myself. We had no common values anymore, so the relationships or friendships broke down. So there were so many nuggets along the way, but that I can't look back at that time with anything other than love because I wouldn't wouldn't be the man I am today. Yeah. Wow. I, I was going to say that actually, you know, often when we're in the, the worst periods that feel like rock bottom, we think, well, what do we do to deserve this? Why is this happening? But when we come out of it, it's like it had to happen because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. And I, I mean, I know when cha- really challenging things that have happened to me were fucking shit. It was doctored at the time, but and I was like, I'm a good person. Why is this happening? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But actually, it had to happen because had I not been faced with that that period in my life, I wouldn't be on this journey. I actually wouldn't. I'd still probably be in a corporate job, loss of identity, feeling like I had so many masks that I had to wear. It was exhausting. And actually, had I not got to that point, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here and it sounds really similar to you. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'd say it all my clients, like your deepest pain is your deepest purpose. Um, because when you get to it, like pain humble, humbles all of us. Mm-hmm. There's no place for resentment then. And what you're going through when you're really on your knees and there's nowhere to go then other than to put on the spiritual armour. Yeah. They're really vulnerable and say, I don't know how to get out of this. Please yeah. help me. Um, you would not wish your worst enemy to go through what you're going through. Um, and then when obviously certain ways of moving through that pain, because it's never about getting rid of it. And that's the problem with society. When people have got a sore head, they'll pay more for the painkiller than the pleasure. Yeah. But the pleasure's actually in the pain, but that's a journey of self. Of course. To avoid any pain, it's like avoid, avoid. And, and the thing is, and we all we all carry so much, right? So I don't think we can ever avoid it. You know, shame, fear, like shame's the biggie, right? Shame is the big, the mother 
of all. I think layer to that. I think there's unworthiness is the mm-hmm. root. Unworthiness. Yeah, but and I think that always stems from unsafety. Yeah. Some level, but it, like shame, yeah, it's huge. I think that the unworthiness, it's a weird one because when you ask, when I speak to clients and when when I'm speaking to people, the amount of people that's, when when we're in a deep place, they'll say, you know, shame, what's underneath shame, unworthiness, what's underneath unworthiness, pain, and and, and we go layers deep and it's, there's so many people feel unworthy. So many people feel unworthy. It's that what do you think is at the root of that, Mark? Great question. Mm. Um, I just want to put, I, I, well, I know my answer, but I just want to preface it, um, especially because it's mostly a female audience, so a lot of your females will be mums, right? And what I said to my mum was, listen, mum, remember, you never get birthed from my gran as a mum. Mm-hmm. So when you hear certain things, when I'm talking about generational trauma, like however you want to go, go. Like, like me telling you not to go straight into mum mode is, is futile. You're going to go there for the for the majority of a women, right? But I was like, just catch that though, but realize you weren't born a mum. You may be a born mother in terms of traits and abilities, but you were a beautiful bundle of pure light that's just freaked out because you've just came from oneness to this sensory overload of all my separation and we're talking between duality and we don't have this voice to express it so god knows what gets felt at that moment and even at that moment we get cut from our power source yeah that's been our source of nutrition and love and nourishment for the last nine months we we've just came from no time so we don't know that in within 10 seconds we're going to be washed and clothed and given back. But we've all got an abandonment for the very beginning because we're literally... Like cut. Cut. Yeah. yeah. And it stores a lot of information and like trauma and stuff now. It's doing that from a cellular level. So we've all got that initial abandonment wound. But as we start to go through the cycles, zero to two, two to five, five to seven, eight, and then on into 12, right the way up to like 21, 23... Those first seven, eight years are so pivotal in our, our development. So we're just like, we're de- we don't have the analytical mind formed yet. So if mum and dad come in, say we're like six years old and we've made a painting at nursery and we can't wait to show it, but dad's the James Blunt of a day and he can't wait to get in and just vent a little bit to his wife. He just goes, oh, wait till So we're sitting there and we see the lights coming in the driveway. Hey, daddy's home. We gave this thing like, hey, Dad, I made this for you today. Oh, that's brilliant, son. Part in the head, but just keeps walking past. We don't have the analytical mind to discern that Dad's just had a day. This has nothing to do with me. He said, that's brilliant. That was the actual words. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to speak to my mum just now and he'll be back. He just needs to deal with some stuff. Now, in that moment, I'm not a good painter. I'm not a good artist. I'm not worthy of my dad's attention. I'm not worthy of my dad's time. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. Mm. And that's at six and seven. Oh you, no, I've done, that. I've done that before. <laughs> but we don't know what's happened, like in yeah. the first three years, because like for the first zero to seven, eight, we're predominantly theta, eh, theta brainwaves. Zero to two, we're predominantly delta, which is sleep state. 
That's why kids just nap all the time. Or they get grumpy when they're not. Have that. And they, of course, they can't communicate it. So they communicate through tears or mm. little tantrums. Again, they're, they're testing boundaries, but they're just trying to find a little voice. But we do unto others, typically it was done unto ourselves, unless we've done that in our work. And for a lot of us, our parents never. They might be hyper-intelligent, but for a lot of yeah, them, they're hyper-conscious. Sure. So they don't know what they don't know. They just know what was shown and we're destined to repeat it until we become aware of it. So for a lot of us as young kids, when we are just expressing ourselves and, and being maybe a bit loud and a bit rambunctious, and it might be a pain in the ass, they go, right, that's enough, but that jars our nervous system. And then we go, oh, dad shouted at me, or, or maybe it, would, it could be like traditional definitions or something, maybe we get beaten. Maybe we grew up in real scarcity and poverty or we grew up in a cult or there was sexual abuse and all these things that have, I mean, we don't know, it's multi-layered, but the, the effects of it is the same. That is, I'm not safe. And the end of the sentence is, I'm not safe to be me. Yeah. So I better be someone else. Mm-hmm. And if you're shouting at me for you not getting your needs met, kids very quickly go, well, maybe I'll just be, if I'm just like you, then you won't give me any trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trap. Yeah. The subconscious. The analytical mind forms on top, and then consciously we can't access it through top-down thinking anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why you just think positive doesn't work, because trauma through the felt sense and our organs and our muscles and our connective tissues and the cells and our energetic bodies, like, that's where it is predominantly. There's 80% more data goes from the gut to the brain than 20% going down the opposite freeway. But we think mental health, but we can't think our problems away. And even from a neurological point of view, the limbic system, which is your emotional centre, it's now driving everything because trauma shuts down your neocortex, which is rationale and options and how do I navigate out this? We can't, that thinking part, we can't access it. So if the body's flooding of this and we've got them now two-way traffic coming to the same destination, which is unsafety, then we're destined to, to repeat it and our nervous system will never, a dysregulated nervous system is never going to let you develop self. That's why I call it shelf development because people go and have this amazing experience and it just gets put in the shelf. So people don't want information, they want transformation and the body is the, the key to get there. So for me, to answer your question, sorry, that was a long way of going there, it comes from childhood twofold. And I, I just want to bring back to the mums, you're not at fault. Mm. I've been chosen by them at a soul level with everything you are, everything you're not, everything you've done, everything you've not done, and everything you will never do. Mm. Perfect entanglement from a genetic point of view, from you as an egg, father as the sperm, whether you were consciously both present or absent, or physically present and emotionally absent, all of it is part of this greater divine order at a soul level. They've chose to come in to learn whatever lessons they needed to learn. Yeah. Because if you were this perfect parent, all you're creating is a massive codependent new age millennial, as we call them now, where they'll never flee the nest because they look to you to solve everything. Uh-huh. So there's lots of layers to this. There so is so much. And I... So mums are really, because mums tend to take that on more than fathers, because dads are rationally thinking, well, that's not what I did. Uh, and and uh, that's the way I was brought up, and I was all right. 
So, lady, take that and go, oh my God, what have I done to my kid? I know, I know. Kids are here to go beyond you. So if you gave them this idea of perfection, which to go back to the start of the, the, the call, they'll never be vulnerable. So then they'll never be relatable and they'll never feel lovable. So everything you are and are not allows them to be the same. And not only the same, they're going to go beyond you anyway, because that's why we're here for design. I love this. Oh, beautifully articulated, Mark. And I'm like nodding and all the cues here because you really are speaking my language. And I have shared on the podcast before, like I, I we both actually, Daryl and I, um, parent the kids very differently now to, and I wasn't like a, because I wasn't a bad mum or anything like that before, but I, I Absolutely unaware. Like, absolutely. I did the whole contented little baby Gina Ford book when the babies were born. I was like, right, let them, you know, self-soothe and all that, right? And by the way, it worked because I got great sleeps and so I wasn't sleep deprived, so it was really great in, in terms of that. But from a, an awareness piece, yeah, I mean, when I started doing this work six years ago, probably like really leaning into it and doing my deep, deep trauma work. Oh my God, the emotions that came up for me and how I parented and, and what I witnessed even from Daryl. And he would say, oh, like, did he wrap them up in cotton wool? You know, I mean, that's my dad. They need to learn about respect. I mean, they're too cheeky and um, I'm all right. Look at me. <laughs> my dad got me tell. So, and the thing is, I, re I remember Mark having a conversation with Daryl even about like maybe two, three years ago. And he was like, and when my older one, he was testing, right? He'll be 12 actually next week. And um, he uh, was testing him, but he's very similar to Daryl. And it, anyway, long story short, I said to Daryl after it, he'd went to bed, Jude, and I said, Daryl, thank you. Like, I think you should go down. He's in his bed, go and like apologise. And he's like, I've are um, oh, you joking? I'm not apologising. And I said, yeah, but you're in the wrong there. And he's like, aye, I know, but I can't apologise. I'm like, why? He's like, well, what does that make me look like if I apologise to him? I'm like, it makes you look really consciously really connected, like that you can really own your stuff and you can see, look at, you know, the reason I reacted that way is because stuff that dad was feeling. He's like, aye, I can say that to you, but if I say that to him, it, does it not make me look like like weak or like no like the, the parent will respect me I'm like I mean anyway he did he ended up doing it he's like Beautiful. that feels so much better he's like I, I told myself this story that I had to be this up here and the kids were not like you know what I mean but it was really difficult for him to try and get his head around that it's okay to say listen mom or dad you know we were triggered but you know we have stuff that that gets us emotional and well, we shouldn't shout that way and it's no great. So, yeah, totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, the father wound runs deep, especially in Scottish men, I would say. Mm. Big time. But I, I'm so I'm so happy that he was able to go there because that's the next generation of healthy men that he's raising by saying, listen, like, what makes you more a man than someone that can walk their talk and own their shit in yeah. a world of blame culture and cancel culture and all this other stuff that's going on here just now. And um, the gaslighting, the stonewalling is a big one, I feel, for Scottish guys. I mean, it's just like, I, I was never, 
I never intentionally meant to be cheeky to my father. I was just very inquisitive and a lot of things just never made sense and I would always speak up about it. But that just like triggered a lot of stuff and you would just get shut down. Mm. Like you don't even need to reply here. Mute. I used to get that. And if I wasn't so much a rebel, I would probably have manifested thyroid or throat issues. Yeah. Uh-huh, that makes so much sense. Definitely. And I, I see in a lot of clients issues with the throat and the thyroid as well. And this is how it manifests in our body. And, you know, we are raising these children to really, I, I want them to do it. I mean, like I, I was brought up by a single mum. So it makes so much sense that my relationships, it was always like, I'm out here. <laughs> um, so I was always brought up with a, a, a strong, amazing woman. Um, but my story was I never needed, I don't need a man. So whilst I was in relationships and I was very loving in them, I always kept a little bit back, Mark, because that felt safe to me to keep a little bit back and not fully receive which then, you know, started having to work in my late 30s and 40s, how terrified I was to receive. And, you know, I'm, I'm very open about this because I think, you know, from a relatability perspective, and this is why I really relate to you and how, you know, genuine and, and real you are in your shares. And I want and I want that for me with people that they don't look and think that, you know, we've got it all together. And I've shared that Daryl and I did couple coaching together and I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. I know you work with men as well. And I remember sitting in a session, Mark, with my coach, Laura, uh, who I've worked with on and off for six years. She's amazing, very, very spiritual and intuitive. And I've learned so much from her. But <clears throat> sitting next, and we were on the Zoom, she's in Australia and I was here and Daryl was here. And I remember being in the session and Laura asked me to look at Daryl and express something about how I was feeling. My whole body was just like uh, shut down. I actually felt like, I'm, and I, I haven't ever really suffered with anxiety uh, attacks or anything like that. But my whole body was like, run, run, run. And I actually burst into tears through sheer like I felt like a small child like go away everyone I don't like this I, I want him to go away I don't want him here and poor, poor Daryl just like wanted to just give me this love but I didn't receive it like I felt like and I remember her saying you know Daryl is that he's got a lot of his dad's traits but he's got a lot of his mum's traits and his mum's a pleaser and I never really saw that in him because I saw him getting frustrated a lot. And I was like, no, he's not. He's more like his dad. He's not like his mum. But now, I mean, this is a few years ago, I really see that. And I'm like, this need to please and make sure his family's happy. And, and so the frustration really comes as a byproduct of that need to please. And it's wild because when I really opened up myself and created safety around receiving and then... My mum passed away and I really, again, did some more work on generational stuff and ancestral things and Bali, another story. But what that did was eventually that part, you know, I've worked and I do a lot of work, but I could never get to that little part. It was just like so shut down, Mark, of really receiving fully from another, from a partner. And then in Bali, it happened and then... I'm going to actually ask you about this because I actually took um, mushrooms on my own on the beach, which was not probably the smartest move because it was the darkest fucking experience in my life and it was 24 hours of hell. 
But it was a shadow, shadow, shadow. But they say that it gives you what you need, right? And boy, it did, because I returned from that experience away not the same as the person that left in my heart. I cry so many things now. <laughs> like I am so emotional at things and the gratitude that I feel and the deeper connection I have with him and the safety now. Like he's my person when I'm feeling really emotional or I'm in grief and I'm, I'm feeling emotional about my mum, I phone him or I'll go downstairs to him and I'll cry to him and I'll let him hold me in that space and I never, ever did that before. Not because I didn't want to. I just physically, my body wouldn't let me. My body was just like, not you, not you, not you. Um, And so it's been, when you talk about the dark journey, the journey is, is, it can feel so painful, like on your knees, praying, like, help me, help me get through this. And, you know, when we're out of it, we're like, I knew I would be okay. But at the time, it's so fucking dark that it's like, I'm losing, am I losing my mind? Am I going to get better? Is this it? Have I fucking lost it now? Am I, am I crazy? Um, and I guess, what again, I've kind of gone around the houses, but my point is when we start to do our work, it really allows us to see our children, to see those around us, in their innocence and in their struggle and be able to hold that space lovingly without attachment and without having to either fix or take it on. It's just a really beautiful way of being the observer of what's really going on with, you know, if it's children or a friend or a family member. Anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent there, I'm aware, but... <laughs> I'm good. I'm aware, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of understanding of the individual and the inner child and all of us right yeah it's the, it's the key to everything for me beginning to feel make the inner child feel safe yeah without that we can't fulfill our essence as humans which is to connect i think to connect and contribute we all know we're here for something great even even if we pretend to ourselves that we don't. Mm. Time again. I don't know what my purpose is. Your purpose is just to live. Congratulations, you made it. You're already here. Um, because people equate purpose to what they do for a career. But a sole purpose, you're here from divine love, which is beyond fracture, beyond positive, negative, light, dark, up, down, happy, sad. It's oneness. Came from that to be separate from that, the illusion to then go back to the truth. That's the journey of life. Can you, so that that's the same to everybody, but your individual karma and dharma is based on your voids and your values. Mm. Voids is just another word for what was empty, what you perceive you never had grown up, aka the trauma. Yeah. And you then go on the journey of healing that. And a big part of healing that is owning your values and living by them. And I don't mean morals and ethics. I mean the things that you find highly valuable, that if we took them off you and said you could never do them again, you would have no idea who you are. The things that you absolutely love to do, to be, to have, that no one ever needs to remind you of. And these change chronologically as we go through life. So, like, an example I always say to ladies, and I'll ask you, did, like, when you were a kid, did you have a Barbie doll? Mm-hmm. 
And did you love it? And did you have hundreds of different ones? Yeah. Mix and match. And wherever you were going, maybe you took it with you in the car. Wherever you went, you took it with you. Mm. Loved it. It was inseparable. It was a high value. When's the last time you played with Barbie? Yeah. 25, 30 years ago. And that's fine because you don't have a value on it anymore. For me, it was Thundercats and He-Man and Lego, right? Mm. I'm more have a higher value on connecting with higher conscious conversation to help people heal by connecting to the truth of themselves. I don't have time to play with He-Man, but I don't actually want to. So it's not a time resourceful thing, it's a value thing, it's just the evolving change. And it's the key to harmonious relationships. If you can communicate your values and the values of your partner, you've got a relationship. If you don't, you'll either expect them to live life by your values, uh-huh. you'll feel guilty because you know they're not being their authentic self, to come back to that word authenticity, or you'll give up your authenticity to be more like them and then you'll resent them for it. Yeah. And then you do that for a longer period of time, eventually relationship breaks down. What do people say? I would just grow apart. It doesn't always need to be something traumatic and cheating. Oh, we just grew apart. But just another way of saying we've got nothing in common anymore, which is another way of saying we didn't have common values. So it doesn't mean you need to have the same. It's actually very healthy. And usually you somewhere in the cosmos, you find the perfect person that's got the complementary opposite. And you usually marry them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's enough in the middle that the two circles that are complete. Because they're complete. But if they overlap, that's where the common values are. So when you're in a relationship, you're in it with three people, you, them, and the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. And you need to make sure that you're filling up you first. But you can only do that to the level of depth that you've went to heal your shit. Because otherwise, you'll project it into the relationship and it won't be common values, it'll be common voids, which is also known as trauma bonding. Yes. And it's just become each other's saviour or each other's dumping ground or each other's abuser. Oh, and we see this a lot in relationships, right? The amount of people that I speak to that say, oh, it's the communication piece that's really difficult. They find it really difficult to communicate their needs to their partner. Do you think that's often because they don't know what their own needs are, first of all? So therefore, how do they communicate it? part of it but I also think deeper than that is because they don't feel worthy of receiving what they need because they've told themselves that for childhood and that's became a habit oh yes aha repeat that again just to let that one land said (laughs) I think um, is it because they can't communicate they don't know what they are yeah but I also think that they don't feel worthy of receiving their needs or desires because they learned early on in childhood not to ask for them or not to live them out unapologetically because they get into trouble. Therefore, to live in there, get to fulfil their own needs is unsafe, so I'll abandon them. And there's the abandonment wound within. Okay, question. Do you think that's one of the reasons why there's infidelity in relationships then? It's another reason because people are looking to fulfil to fill their voids with social values or values of another or a dopamine hit because the deeper the pain the deeper the need for pleasure not to feel the pain that's why this work is a conscious journey of leaning into the pain and that's why you can't do it yourself that's why you can't go to your seminar or and, and listen like you, you 
I don't want to say you're alluding to it, it's the wrong word, but what you were saying at the start, why you like me and like some other things that are out there you don't fully agree with, this is why I don't, listen, I tip my hat to anyone that wakes up in the morning for the betterment of humanity, but for a lot of people, old school psychology, psychiatry is stuck in the top down method, it doesn't yeah. get past the brainstem. So we get more information, go, oh, that's cool. You may feel brilliant for an hour, but the body's still holding on to all the stuff and there's way more traffic coming up. So all you've done is give yourself like a, a temporary escape, but nothing changes, not at the level, not at a somatic level anyway. So I don't want to throw shade at that. It's just like, it's just outdated for a lot of people, but there are some amazing people that do the traditional top down, but knowing that it's missing something and then supplement and complement these automatic bottom up processes. And that is amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's never about one versus the other. Society's got enough of that. Yeah. We both, but I, I am like, it's like the third, I've got like a 9P model of mastery. It's the third P in before we start going top down. The first two is peace and process. You need to process the emotions. And before that, you need to have peace in the body. You need to regulate the nervous system. So for a lot of us as, as kids, when we get into trouble, it's danger. It's, and what, what we're really saying at a subconscious level is it's, it's dangerous to be ourselves, which is just another word of saying it's not safe to ask for what I need. Yeah. Or we find someone, maybe like the ladies that go from attracting chaotic men, everybody loves a bad boy. Do you? Or is that just what your nervous system's used to? Uh-huh. Right? And then, of course, so it's like, um, what's her name? Bridget Jones. Mm-hmm. So you've got the Hugh Grant and eventually go, he's a dick. So we go for Colin Firth, but we go, fuck, he's boring. So then we go back to the Hugh Grant. Right? So yeah. can we get somewhere in between? Well, no, because it's never going to fulfil you out there. Can you do that within? Can you own the devil and the angel within yourself? Can you own the bad boy and the good boy in there? Okay. That's the work. So, yeah, yes, 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 to all of what you're saying. So for someone listening that's like, right, okay, so it's down to me as the individual to take full responsibility for where I'm at. And when I do that work, then the world does respond differently to me um, because how I see myself is different. Now, how does someone listening start that? They're like, right, okay, how do I do that for myself? You know, you're talking about, you know, bottom up. So let's talk a little bit about like somatic work um, that really helps someone to move that through their physical body. First thing. The thing you're doing right now that you're not even aware of. Mm. The breath is what connects the head and the body. So that's always my first protocol. And I always say to people that it's amazing that what's going out there now in terms of Instagram and other social media platforms and teaching platforms that we can see the power of the breath now, but it's became fashionable to do breath work. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's your lots of likes and your reels and shares and all the rest of it. But as much as I love weird, weird music buffs and I always go back, I love Yaz, but the only way isn't up. Yeah. <laughs> like if you, if you're going into that conscious connected breath, it's going to bring up deep seated stuff mm-hmm. from the subconscious. So the breath is a way to tap into the subconscious mind 
is the body mind, right? It's what we commit to long-term memory. So hopefully people that are watching this this morning um, or whenever this goes out, woke up this morning and brushed their teeth. Mm. And they would have done that without a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> yeah. They've done it so many times that it's committed that they're probably, they're probably doing other things in their phone. Yeah. Not thinking about what they're actually doing because the body remembers. Even when we're drunk, mm. right? And you, you look the next day going, oh, you check your balance, you go, Jesus Christ, I'm after 200 quid at two o'clock in the morning. Like, you can't break your finger, but you remember your pin code. Yeah. Because we've done it that many times, right? So you imagine as a kid, how many times were you ready to do something that you pull back that's under the age of seven and eight that you can't consciously recall? Mm-hmm. So it's committed to this long-term thing. So the breath, yes, conscious breath will, that mouth breathing and belly breath and holotropic breathing and so many other different ways we can do it's going to bring things from the deep realms of the subconscious that we can't access through thought up. That's brilliant. But I always say to my clients when I do this, because I do a session every week at the in Bali called Solify, I went, I only the only thing I know is that I don't know. I don't know what you're going to, your experience is going to be today. It can bring up the depths of your trauma, generational trauma, can bring up mum stuff, grand, great grand, can take you back to a past life. It could take you into a future vision. You may get insights in your purpose. You might sit there and think you're at one with geometric patterns. You might feel like an ayahuasca on a mushroom trip without taking them. Yeah. You actually sit there, you might fall asleep. But you might have just you might have four or five kids and you can't remember the last time you had a snooze. You're going to get exactly what your nervous system needs and what is ready to release and what is ready to receive. That's the only thing I know. My only job is to keep you safe. So yes, we're going to go up, but we're going to go down and calm first. We're going to come up, we're going to come down. Because most breathwork coaches are addicted to the journey up. So it's kind of like you get beyond this idea of self and you become the conscious observer, which is cool. It's like flying a spiritual plane, right? But if then all of a sudden, this is why 5D, love and light, fuck off with the best intentions, fuck clean off. Because you're here as part of your soul's journey for the 3D experience. Mm Mm-hmm. So the work is, can you access these higher states of consciousness and can you integrate them back as a 3D self in all your flaws and all your glory with humility and peace and kindness and acceptance? So you're going to have to land that plane. Most breathwork coaches don't know how to do that. They're only about going up. So what we want to do, especially when you're in a triggered moment, you don't need to go any further up because we get addicted to the journey of ascension. But how can a plane ever take off if it doesn't have a stable runway? So the first thing we need to do is we need to ground the nervous system. So we do that with conscious grounding breath. That's the first thing that I would always do because we take, and I always ask this at the start of the the, the class, I said, who thinks they're here for a breathwork session? And it's not because I've got three other modalities infused into it, right? Some people say, oh yeah, because it's popular just now, and that's fine, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing, but it's neither. It's a thing, right? But I go, right, how many breaths do we take a day? And there's always someone that knows. And I go, ah, oh, between like 20 to 23, 23 to 26,000. I was like, brilliant. I went, how many of them are you conscious of? <laughs> but it's even in this podcast, like, how many times have we been? Mm. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing. Like, sometimes when you're talking about a subject that gets you going, I get a little bit fidgety, I get excited, and it's that energy that's coming up to come out. There's no judgment. 
But when it's coming from a trauma point of view, we need to be aware. You've mentioned it many times. It's that that's the key word: conscious awareness. It's the same thing. We need to be aware that if something's not quite right here, and I don't feel safe. How can I feel safe? The first thing we want to do is come in. So, can I give you like two quick tips? To yes. Do? Yes. One hand in your heart, one hand in your belly. Take a breath in, and just notice what hand rises first. If it's your top hand, fine. No judgment. It's just you're giving yourself more pieces of the puzzle. You're becoming more self-aware. Can you now actively, with intention, send that to your bottom hand? Because here's the thing, without being, I'm going to bring my screen down just a minute here. I don't mean to flash anyone, right? But most people don't know how to breathe. I don't care if you've got an amazing six-pack bikini body or what. People say, take a big breath in, they go... Mm-hmm. social conditioning to look good you watch your kids breathe in mm-hmm. we go the wrong way we go <gasps> oh yeah. right. so most people the first step is they actually don't know how to breathe so doing that actually sends signals to your brain to go hey what's going on here it actually gets back to our fundamental need as kids is we need attunement we need to it's not self-soothing we need to be soothed nurture and touch but what we bond with our parents isn't this ideal figure that we see. We bond with our nervous systems. So if mum isn't regulated, that's what you're bonding with. And then if you look to go to dad, but he's physically or emotionally absent, that's also gets so it's like neglect, rejection, abandonment, what's going on, confusion, all these things go. So the breath can be the gateway of understanding that. But in this moment, all you want to do is connect. So you just go here. Once you start to feel it's there, right, maybe bring your hands down and go onto your flanks. Can mm. you now, instead of just being a, like a two-dimensional human, can you start to go more to the side? Then what I would get people to do is put one hand in the back. This is the hardest one. When tension, can you feel your lower back expand? So now it becomes like circular. Mm. Now we're using the full diaphragm. And even from doing that, it starts to take tension off our trapezius, our serratus interior or rotator cuff muscles because there's your posture for people with trauma. There, all of a sudden, that starts to pop. The spine starts to realign. You feel taller. All that stuff because you start to feel safety because now it's got a free channel to go in. Because even when we take deep breaths, part of the brain slightly separates and part of the sacral slightly separates and we've got this tube of light. Yeah. This is where Kundalini and other things, maybe for another time, all of that can come in and breath can access that. But in terms of just being triggered, that's the first thing I want to do. Another hack you can do, do I have anything in here? No, I don't. The robe of your dressing gown, uh-huh. a scarf or a resistance band, for uh-huh. the gym, tie that round and loop it. Now you can feel the whole belly. You can just breathe out the band. Mm-hmm. So now we're not chest breathing because when you notice when you're anxious, where do we breathe? Taste. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. That's that would be the first thing. Once you've then get the direction right, now we want to look at the intervals. So an easy thing is can you breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth? That's going to help you to be parasympathetic. Once you've started a couple of reps of that, now practice yourself. Can you do nose only? That gets you deeper into rest and digest. And then another thing you can do is double the exhalation to the inhalation. Mm. So 
breathe in for two, breathe out for four, breathe mm-hmm. in for three, breathe out for six. And it's actually became, become like a fun way of training your nervous system and your warm-up before yoga or F45 or CrossFit or Pilates or whatever your thing of mindful movement is. Like, because when you breathe normally, like I used to get clients, this was the first thing that I did as a PT, by the way, back in the day. So it was breath work, stability, mobility. That caused a lot of, like, uh, why does stability come before mobility? Because, as I say, honestly, go back to nature. A kid learns to stabilise their eyes before they can consciously mobilise them. A kid learns to stabilise its neck muscles before yeah. it learns to run. Uh-huh. I say, nature's always got the clues. So breathe fast will help you feel more grounded and stable to then move. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't feel stable and secure in self, you will never move through life consciously. Yeah. So I used to do this for PT. And then people go, oh my God, I feel as if I've done 100 crunches. I was like, who knew? Because your diaphragm is like, it's such a big muscle. And then your intercostals and all these other things here. Totally. I'm going off on a tangent. So first, direct it here, here, here. You can do that. Use a band, dressing gown, whatever. Then double the inhalation. So breathe in. And feel it go all the way out, and then it regulates you, right? It does, and it does bring in that sense of safety. And I think, you know, the, as you said, we're not going to want to communicate our needs if we don't feel safe. You so we need to first of all do these simple exercises that are you know pretty you know they're free yeah they bring safety into our body and they allow us to and it but has to be done regularly right it's not just a right i'll try that once off because yeah. we're not used to doing it we maybe have never exercised that internal muscle in our life so we we need to you know continually be noticing that i would say you know multiple times in a day you know catching our breath and god you know i've not actually sat and really you know i i did some this morning but until you mentioned it on the call, you said breath. I'm like, breath, right, drop in. And it's noticing that, but how many people are not aware of that? And and we, you know, the, the, again, the, I have to get you back on because I want to talk to you because I know that you talk about this, like autoimmune, fibromyalgia, all these things that are manifestations of trauma in our body. I really need to get you back on to talk about it because this is huge, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, massively. But I, th- I think like regular. That, that's why peace becomes pr- before process in our model, because when you can, the, when you can start to make, because the nervous system is the master system of the body. So when you can start to befriend that, and the body feels a safe place again, then this is where like things that maybe some psychologists and therapists will do, where they do like timeline therapy. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you feel safer to go to like an event. Yeah, your life. Because the brain doesn't know the difference between back then and now. You just bring up the experience attached to it as an emotion. And before you know it, the chemicals being released and you're feeling the exact same way then as what you did. So I'm not a big fan of timeline therapy. What I look at is what's the common feelings in your life, whether it be shame, guilt, unworthiness, depression, anxiety, fear, dread, lust, um, unworthiness, anger, whatever it may be. We'll look at that because attached to that of emotional will be multiple timelines. This is where a bit of quantum physics and things come in because when you can go into the root of it, because everything is in the now, it's like a popcorn effect. When you heal that, they all heal. And then it automatically alters your perception. You go, oh, fuck. 
who knows? It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. The worst thing that happened to me, which I look at it singular, was, but it's also the best thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But you can only get that if the nervous system feels safe. Mm-hmm. It's the key, the key to everything. It's actually like I've got just now like five of my top guys are learning to teach everything I teach. So we teach like breath work, somatic experiencing, uh, body work, energy healing. They get to add in music and certain things. We do kaleidoscope, we do different different kind of Egyptian-based chakra meditations and things, and we put that in, they do different events. Healing the inner child, conscious relating, sacred sexuality, mindful movement, healing the gut, natural nutrition, all of these things here because it's certain aspects people get there. But the big one for all of it is polyvagal theory, which is just another way of really getting the, the nervous system. This is where... We're beyond fight or flight or rest and digest. It's like a, a traffic light that's inverted. Mm-hmm. Most people can't get to up the ladder to green because they're stuck in amber, which is fight or flight, always in high alert, hypervigilant, control freak. Can I just run a scenario of every potential thing that could go wrong just so I'm prepared for it? Or we go into collapse and shutdown, which is called dorsal. Mm-hmm. And most people are stuck there that have trauma. Green is the zone of safety and connection. So we can't get there if we've got trauma in there because we feel unsafe to connect to another people, which impacts us so much because of the human essence. We're sentient relational beings. That's what we're all here to do. There's nothing noble about being the black sheep or the lone wolf anymore. Those days are gone. COVID taught us that. Mm. The biggest void was human connection. That's why people value that a little bit more. But like everything else, as soon as you get it, the value of not having it starts to come down. And people come back into their old habits. The people that are consistently and consciously doing the work know that there's nothing there's nothing disempowering about saying that men need women and women need men. And you know what? We need each other. It's not coming from a void of, I need you to complete me. It's just that you help me I can't self-regulate without co-regulation first so all all comes down to that so they're actually we have a six-week do-it-yourself course called safe love Mm -hmm. which fundamentally is regulating the nervous system first and foremost because underneath that dysregulated nervous system is a little kid that didn't feel loved and didn't feel safe to be loved as they are. So instead, they adopted many masks, many personas to try and appease one or both parents. Mm. So my guys, instead of having a six-week do-it-yourself course, we're actually going to be launching it in like five weeks, the last Monday of July, um, where they, you're, you're not only going to get access to me, in my top programs, you're actually going to get access to my five coaches for one-to-one as well as like my high-ticket group guys and this course where you learn the best ventral vagal practices, which is just soothing the vagus nerve, which is the trauma nerve, which basically runs for the colon up through every major organ and muscle and it connects up through the brainstem somewhere in here. And there's 80% more traffic going up this side than the 20% that goes down here. So it's like being underneath a ballet waterfall mm-hmm. and thinking you're going to climb up the rocks when you're trying to think your way out of a problem. You can't. It's just yeah. it's too much. So why not go with the flow? So we need oh, to... Oh, for sure. And it sounds amazing what you're doing. Can I ask, Mark, you know, does it? do you work with mostly men, mixture, couples? Is this something like couples could do? What do you think? I... 
only work with couples that are going to do it at the same time. Oh, yes. Right? Because a big part of having a healthy relationship is that conscious communication, right? If I was the only coach and I had you one time and your partner and another, there can be Chinese whispers. But Mark said this. Did Mark, or was that how you perceived it? Whereas when the two people are there, there's less confusion. So, and I only know that from quote-unquote doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yes, absolutely, of course. 100% they can. Um, Couples, I think, would be very good for them. I think, yeah, like, you've already... To go into a relationship as you are is the ultimate self-acceptance, even if you know there's parts of you that you don't like. So you're already on your journey for po- for people that are listening to that. The other part of your question, men or women, ladies, I know you're, you're tired, but the men are out there, but I don't work with a lot of men. It's yeah. the women that rise up. Amazing, amazing. I've only got... Out of 15 of my high-end clients, only three of them are men. Mm. But they're coming. They're coming. They are. They are coming. And I'll tell you, I think what you're doing, and I said this at the start, is absolutely amazing. You speak my language. It's It resonates with me, everything that you, that, that you share, the work that you do. And so I want people that are listening to this to to follow you, to connect with you, to really look at your courses, because um, this is the work, guys. This is the work. And, you know, we can read the books and listen to the podcast, but bottom up and and the, the work that Mark's doing is absolutely shining a light on so much. So, guys, give him a follow. Go check him out. Mark, anything else you would like to say before we wrap up? Because I do want to get you back on because I feel like there's so much we can Yeah, first I would say apologies uh, because I get quite amped up about all this stuff. Second thing I would say is thank you. Like You have helped me heal a big wound from two week, two years ago by saying yes to come on to this because I know like you'll have an international audience but you're Scottish and you'll have a lot of Scottish women here. I went through a very tough time back in Scotland two years ago where I was really, and and I'm happy to speak about it another time, where I was really miscalled on a national newspaper level for something I'd never done. Right? Yeah. Uh, And it broke my heart, if I'm honest. Mm. Because it, it it was things that I had confided in from trauma and from things that I did right and things that I did wrong. Mm-hmm. And the vision I had for my life, and this was a very um, wounded woman, shall we say, but she was essential for my growth. The, the victims in my life, I know why I come back to do that. And I can talk about it another time, but I was going to preface that to you before in a call, in a voice note when you asked me, I went, I just don't want to upset any of your listeners. And I went, right, who's talking here, Mark? little wounded Mark who just wanted everybody to love him so I'm now at a position where like love me or loathe me I'll be me uh. and I'm happy to talk about whatever because th- there's no mistakes too like that couldn't happen to me if I never played a role within it there's no victims in my life mm-hmm. but it was very traumatic and it took a lot and but it led me to Bali to be honest it led me back to Bali so I lived in Perth so that's the first thing I want to say like immense gratitude to you for the opportunity for me to come on because you're helping me heal layers of man or child that you wouldn't even have been aware of. 
Oh, thanks. Just, I'm grateful to myself as well for saying yes and having the courage to do that. The second thing I would say just to, to tie all this in with ladies, we see you. <laughs> oh man, this get, it always gets me, man, because the mother wound for men runs so deep. And I honestly think the most conscious thing a man can do in his spiritual evolution is energetically break up with his mother. But if he grew up seeing his mum being abused for dad or it was a single mum or whatever, and we get we get very protective. Little da- daddy's little girl, mummy's little boy, it kind of crosses over. It goes a little bit deeper, I feel, with the opposite genders. Just in my experience of watching that. But we're trying. But we didn't get taught what emotions are. We d- and we definitely didn't get taught how to navigate them. That doesn't make excuses for the projection of toxic and low-level behaviour onto you. But I promise your courage and your patience is being rewarded because where are all the good men? They're there. They're stepping up. They're doing that through their own conscious vulnerability. It is coming. But please just keep being you. Don't mother them. Don't feel you need to do anything. Keep going into yourself. Forget the label as much as you can as being mother because to me it's the most dangerous one society is given because who are you beyond mother? You're a beautiful soul that's here to do what you're here to do. So you don't need another child. Leave them to it. They'll figure it out. Just keep being you. Because in some level, men are seeing it and know that if I don't level up, I'm going to lose that relationship. And not many men want that. They want it. They just don't know how to ask for it because they don't feel worthy of it because they think if they ask and they're vulnerable, they're not a man. It runs deep. But that doesn't. that's not your problem to solve. Keep being you. And in terms of being the best mum you can be, look at when your kids are going to bed. And sorry if I'm generalising here because I know there'll be some people that are not mothers, but just look back at your own childhood then. If you were fortunate enough to have parents or you do this with your kids, when they want to tuck them in and get ready for a good sleep, you don't read them your CV. You read them a story. And your story in life is worth telling. It's your experience of what you've been through that impacts the world. So keep leaning into your experiences Forget this, I don't know enough, I'm not enough, it's bullshit. Come as you are, that's how we love you, and don't think we haven't seen you doing the work, and it's inspiring us to step up, and it's coming. Oh my goodness, I've got goosebumps, that was really beautiful. I felt like I wanted to shut my eyes and just really feel feel into those words, Mark. Mark, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, Um. And just your your whole self today. And um, I'd love to get you back on because I really feel that there's much more that much more of your wisdom that you can share with the listeners. And plus I love it. <laughs> so even if nobody else does, I do all right. <laughs> I love what you're saying. I love the way you, you know, all of this. It's it's beautiful. So thank, thank you. you so, Great. so much. Thank you. Um, Courage deserves to be rewarded, so I want to reward myself by having people that will listen to me, by potentially rewarding your listeners. I haven't put this out to my email list yet, and I haven't put anything in social media, what we're doing. 
Um, but I'll send a, a Jill discount for any of your people that are interested in safe oh, loving. I'll look after them. It's, it's not open to the public yet, so I'll do that. Amazing, amazing. And anyone, what's your Instagram handle, Mark, for people? Uh, I'll put this all in the show notes anyway, but... Uh, Mark Reed, R-E-I-D, all one word, Mark Reed Trauma Healing. Mark Reed Trauma Healing. I'll put all of the details in the show notes. Also, go to the link in his bio because there is so many things, whether it's one-to-one, mentorship, solify, you know, all of it. It's like I was like in a wee, uh, a wee menu of lovely things in there. I'm like, oh God, what would I take first? I mean, it was all amazing. So go check that out, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Mark for being my guest. Um, really honouring you. Thank you so much.